you know, just thinking through what we're talking about today, I was just thinking this week, and, and it got me thinking, of, and you'll see why, it got me thinking about rejection. And rejection is a funny, not funny thing, right? It's peculiar, it's funny, it takes up a lot of time. It's, it's, it's neither fun to be rejected, and it's not fun to reject others if you have a soul. You know, like, it's, it's, it's not. Um, and, and I remember in my days of, of being single, and I, I just remember a couple of measures that, 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 that could help you avoid either rejecting or being rejected that I had at my disposal of time when I was kind of navigating the risks of dating. Now, I, I, I will say, like, I kind of live my life with, the, like, the, the answer every time you don't ask is no. So I always played the odds, and, like, you know, and so I just asked a lot, and it worked out sometimes. And so I, I was pretty okay with the answer being no, because it was just like, okay, it's no. But still, it's never fun. Never fun to be rejected, never fun to reject. And so there's some ways. So your first option is to eliminate the possibility of being rejected. And you do this through different ways. And one of my favorites that I never got to employ, but I was always eager to, was the, was the absurd wager. So it would be the extent of like, I mean, for, for me at that time, my, my go-to that I had in my pocket that was ready was saying, hey, Morgan Freeman was the voice of Darth Vader. Now, this is, I know this is dated in, in time. It was James Earl Jones. Everybody knew it at the time. And I would just vehemently, and my plan was to vehemently just, just declare, no, it's, it's Morgan Freeman. He was the voice. And then to the point where I'll say, I would bet you. I'll tell you what, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm wrong, I'll take you on a date. <laughs> and... That would have helped avoid the process of rejection. I never got to use it, but I was ready to. And the, the other opportunity you have is just to avoid the awkwardness of rejection through some other measure. And this literally existed. And this was before cell phones. This was when you would ask for a number and you would have to write it on a piece of paper and give it. And, and there was literally this number that existed that you could give to someone and then they would go and call it and it would have informed them that you did not want them to have their, your number. And it would say, I'm sorry, you've been rejected. They did not want you to have their number. They just gave you this number to avoid being awkward. So that really, so people go through some pretty outlandish measures to avoid rejection, and we can all imagine why. So the, and what's interesting about rejection is the more you care about a person, the more you're invested in what you're offering of yourself, the harder and the, and, and the more difficult that rejection is. And, and, and when we think about now, we're venturing into this journey of faith. Many of people's struggles with faith itself is that they have either, they're grappling with either feeling rejected by the church, the people of God, the institution of God, or they're grappling with feeling rejected by God himself. And so maybe you can identify with that. If you cannot, um, I, I would love to talk to you and hear like, well, like what is your understanding, but, but also someone around you can. Someone around you definitely can if you cannot. And so that's what we're dealing with today is just how do we deal with this, this idea that maybe we're rejected by God? And that's what Paul is addressing today. Before we go any further, let me pray. God, you are good. We love you. Um, we thank you just for a time this morning to come before you. Um, and, and Lord, to, to wrestle with honest questions and to wrestle with real things. And Lord, to know that um, just as we are, 
Lord, uh, with the journey that we've had, the struggles that we've had, the victories that we've had, and the questions that we have, you welcome us in today. And we thank you that this is not the only time we get to come to you, that you welcome us in at any moment. And Lord, that you are always ready to, Lord, address our need. You're always ready to listen and to give understanding. And so right now, I pray that you would just, um, that you would incline our ears and our hearts to you, God. I pray that as we come to your word and we, and we, and we address this idea of, of has God rejected his people, Lord, that we would allow ourselves to think honestly and to feel honestly and to bring this question to you for our own good and for the good of those around us, that we could understand your heart and your love, Lord, for your people. Um, so, Lord, I, I surrender this time to you. God, I, I admit that I am operating in a place beyond my ability and my pay grade, and I'm grateful for the Holy Spirit and the way that you work. So take these words that pass through my mind, from my mouth, Lord, please catch them aflame in our hearts and lives, Lord, that we could be changed, that we could know you, that we could know peace, hope, and love in Christ, and that we could be a light in this world, Lord, for its good and your glory. Uh, so Lord, we surrender this time in Jesus' name, amen. Um, if you haven't already, go ahead and open your Bibles to Romans 11. We're continuing through Romans as we've been doing for a while now. Um, we'll be in Romans 11, 1 through 10 today. Uh, we'll also have verses on the screen for you. If you use the YouVersion Bible app, you can click the More tab down at the bottom right. Look for Events. Click Events. We'll pop up, and you can follow along there uh, with our passage and a few, for, a few questions to help you further reflect after the day, and there's some ways to take notes in there as well. Also, if you just like paper and, and binding and all that stuff, that's called a book. Um, you can, there's a Bible near you on the floor, and you can use that, and if you don't have a Bible at all, please take that. That is our gift uh, to you. So like I said, we're looking at Romans 11, uh, 1 through 10 today, and, and as Paul has done over and over again through Romans, he, he anticipates this question. He anticipates a response to what he's been teaching and claiming. So Paul once again presents an argument in the form of a question, that, and he, he presents an argument that he knows everyone is thinking. And we find this question right here at the beginning of verse 1, and Paul says, I asked then, has God rejected his people? So that's what's on, he, he, he knows that's, one, that's what's on everybody's mind, especially the people that he's addressing. So let's just real quickly talk about how we got to this question. Has God rejected his people? And this is really kind of encapsulated in Romans 9 through 11. And so, it's, so just to think about what Romans 9 and 10 have gotten us to. First off, we saw that... Um, Uh, we saw this kind of focus on, on Israel's unbelief as God's chosen people. That's what this entire, entire section is about of 9 through 11. It's just dealing with, okay, God's chosen people, Israel, the people of God, their unbelief is grappling with that. So that's the context of all three of these. And then we see that salvation has always been by grace through faith. That's never changed. It's always been by grace through faith. God, and then we, say, we saw that God chooses those that he will save through faith in the gospel of Jesus. We saw that laid out. And then we also saw that while God is responsible for his choosing, we are also responsible for our rejection of God. And that's been laid out very clearly. And then, and then we see that the Jews themselves are responsible for their refusal of, of the promised Messiah being Jesus. And that those that have not come to faith have not come to faith because God has not chosen 
to have mercy on them. You're like, gosh, man, this is tough. It is. And if you haven't been along the ride with us, please go back and kind of spend some time in those teachings up from, I mean, all of Romans, but especially 9 through up to this point. Um, but that's kind of the, the building blocks that gets us to where we are if, if we're to understand where this question comes from. Because 1021, he laid out this, this accusation to the Jews. He says, but Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. So as we wrapped up last week, we saw this beautiful picture of God pursuing the Gentiles, all those outside of the people of Israel, the people that were indifferent towards God, had no, had no mind towards God. They, just, they didn't pursue him at all. And to see that God pursued them, he pursued the ones that didn't have anything to do with him, and they're responding in faith. But then he points to the Jews, the people of Israel, and he says, hey, you had it all. If you remember this, you had the covenants, you had the worship, you had the prophets, you had the Torah, you had the law, you had God's instruction, you had it all, and yet you have not, it's not just that you're indifferent, you have rebelled, you're contrary, you've acted in disbelief. So he's like, so then it comes to this question of, so if it is only by God's merciful choice that anyone is saved, and we see that there are some of the people of Israel that are not redeemed, it brings us to this question. So are you saying God has rejected his people, and that matters because God had made a covenant with his people. Do you remember that? He had made a covenant with his people. And so that's why we're wrestling with this. So, has God rejected his people? Because there are some who are not part of the remnant. So Paul's response to this question, as he has done over and over again through Romans, let's read it here. Let's read 1 through 6 together. It says, I'm going to start at the beginning again. I ask then, has God rejected his people? Here's his reply. By no means, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars and alone and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. So Paul's answer to this question, has God rejected his people, is an emphatic, not even close, no way. Just out of the gates makes it really clear that no, he has not rejected his people. And this is really the theme of this entire chapter of chapter 11 that, that will continue for the next two weeks after this. God has not rejected his people. So Paul gives four defenses for this emphatic answer uh, to show that God has indeed not rejected his people. So I want to look quickly through these six verses to see these four defenses so that we can find our, our comfort as well as our purpose. So the first defense that Paul points to to say that no, God did not reject his people is this. Paul points to who? He points to his own testimony. His first defense is himself. Let's not forget who Paul was. He plays it out here. He says, for I myself am an Israelite. And not only an Israelite, he, he's, from the one, he's from one of the two most prestigious tribes. He's part of the tribe of Benjamin. And so he says, I have the descendant. I have, I have this pristine descendant of being a part of the tribe of Benjamin. So I am not, I'm an Israelite. And then it's also, who is Paul? I mean, at the time, it wasn't just his lineage. It was also his, 
his, his uh, renown and his reputation. I mean, he's kind of saying like, hey, not, like, as he said that, it's like, hey, I am a part of Abraham's descendants from the tribe of Benjamin. But then it's also a known fact of who Paul was. He's like, do you remember who I am? So this is why this is a proof that God has not rejected his people. I am a part of the people of Israel. And, and look at what my life was. I was the most unlikely. You want a picture of a contrary and disobe- disobedient person? That was me. I, I was known as the Israelite of all Israelites. Hey, you know what? I actually hunted down these people and I killed them. You want to talk about a hardened heart? I was vehemently opposed to the gospel of God in Christ. This is what Paul is saying. You want proof? Look at my life. I'm a people of Israel. We can say that God has not rejected his people in full because of my life, because of what has happened to me. All that being said, look look at where I am. Here I am. I am changed. I am redeemed. I am restored. And why does this matter? We live in a world that demands proof. And they're used to proof all the time. And a lot of it's thanks, thanks, you know, thanks to technology. We have the world of information in our fingers. I heard this magician talking about how the world doesn't say wow anymore. They say how. They don't, they're not, well, you know, they're not like, blown away by this illusion. They want to go look up and find out how it was done. They, they want the YouTube how-to or they want to go find the catalog where you can buy that magician's trick. So they ask how instead of saying wow and so we live in a world that demands proof and the greatest most pervasive testimony explicit testimony is the life of those who are in Christ and so we have to not just say okay that's cool I see how Paul was used in his time we must now wear this ourselves if you have called on Christ if you find yourself to say I am part of the unashamed I am the fellowship I am in the fellowship of God in Christ this is your opportunity as well we have to see that our testimony matters. And it's, the testimony is the, our story that we have of God working His faithfulness in Christ in our life. And I, and I grew up in a culture of like guarding my testimony to where it was kind of like my job, my job to make sure that I didn't besmir- like besmirch the name of God. And that was kind of like the, the burden that I, I walked around with. Was like, and so... It's interesting to kind of understand how do we how do we do this without it being that like everything I do is just so I don't mess things up. So so what does it mean to take our testimony seriously? And I just want to ask kind of these questions to help guide us. You know, is 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 just first off this simple question of do you have do you personally have a testimony of God's audacious, reckless, grace-filled, saving work of Christ in your life? Do you have that story to tell? A story that you didn't accomplish, but He did in Christ. And I'll say, if, if you're sitting here and you're, you're saying, I don't have that story. I haven't come to understand that. I haven't surrendered to that. I, I want to invite you today, if He is calling, if He's stirring you up to that opportunity, respond. Surrender. Said, you know, a couple weeks ago, we talked about how will, they, how will they call on Christ, how will they call on God for salvation in Christ if they have not believed? How will they believe if they haven't heard? And so as you're hearing this truth today, if you come to the place of saying, wait, this is true, I think it's true, then call on God. Surrender and trust. 
So if you don't have a testimony, that's your first opportunity. If you do have that story of God's grace working in your life in Christ, just think in these ways. How has the work of Jesus changed the way you see yourself? How has it changed the way you see others? How has it changed the way you see your purpose in this world? How has it changed the way that you, that you go through the trials? Because one of the things that is promised in our life is that we will face trials. How has it changed the way that you navigate those and, and given you a way to persevere? Every one of those ways that you have been changed are opportunities to give a defense for the goodness of God that God has shown in you in Jesus. All of those are opportunities for a way for your testimony to be a, to be a proof to say God has not rejected you. He has not rejected his people. Matthew 5.16 says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You know, we think about kind of this opportunity to, to live out our faith and call people to salvation in Christ. And many of us don't feel ready. We don't feel equipped. We don't feel capable to do that. And we walk around feeling guilty because of that. And I want to, again, first off, just remember there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. First off, grace is over you. And so let's just kind of come to this with open hands. And then let's also see that you are equipped with way more than you think you are. You have the story to tell of how God infiltrated your life and overcame your sin and rebellion in Christ and has brought you hope and peace and has changed the way that you encounter these things in your life. And I know that I'm a broken record with with referencing this, but the blind man in John 9 is such a great encouragement here. He was the guy who was born blind, was blind forever up till that day and was healed by Jesus. The Pharisees were mad. They were like, surely this guy's a sinner. Who is he that he that has healed you? And he's like, "I, I I don't know who he was. What I know is that I was blind and I can see. And then all of a sudden, he's standing there bold before these guys, and they're like, they keep asking questions, and it's just a great exchange to read through in John 9. But what he had to share was what Jesus had done in his life, and it was an authoritative witness. And so you wanna, if you want to say, I'm not capable, I want to say, if Christ has transformed you, changed you, redeemed you, freed you, given you peace and joy, then you are. Your opportunity today is to share what he has done in your life. You can grow along the way. You can get better words as we would like to think that's what our chance to pursue is. Or we can, we can gain more understanding about how the gospel encounters culture. That's all great. But today you've been equipped to tell the story of how God has worked in your life. And then if you look at any area of your life and see that it would not be a clear testimony for the supremacy and love of God shown to you in Christ, I want you to ask why. As you think about all these different kind of arenas that you have, whether it be family, relationships, you know, these things that are out in the public, the way that you work, or the things that are internal, what you think about, what you pursue, what, are, what your motives are, if you see, if you look at that and you're real honest with yourself, and you see that any of those might not be an opportunity for a testimony to, that proves God's goodness and His love, then ask why. Maybe ask these questions. What lie about yourself are you believing? Again, because what is Satan? What is his main tool, right? He is a liar. He is a deceiver. He is not victorious. He is not all-powerful. He is not omnipresent, but he can deceive, and he deceives much through who, who, by telling us who we are in any way that is not Christ. 
And oftentimes what he wants to do is just kind of dull us to the reality that all of our life is wrapped up in Christ. All of our life is redeemed in Christ. All of our life is an opportunity for the love of God. And oftentimes his lie is not some big pervasive outright lie of God is not love. It is just that you think less about it. And so just what lie about yourself are you believing about your worth, about your purpose? What work of Christ that has been completed are you viewing as incomplete? You're made totally new. You are totally adopted into the family of God. Your eternity is secure. Your purpose is changed. What, what, what work of Christ that has been complete are you viewing as incomplete that is causing you to maybe compromise or pursue a false worth? Or, or Ask that question. And lastly, what area of your life have you decided possibly by your actions, if not by your conscience, that that God, your loving Heavenly Father, is not interested in? As you think about it, like if we somehow have this compartmentalized view of our life where we're okay with this aspect of our life, whether it be, again, the integrity in which we work or the purity in which we think of others or whatever it may be, if somehow we have said, that, okay, God is not concerned with this, First off, we're, we're, we're making a statement about who we think God is and who we think we are, but then also we're just forgetting that God is a loving Heavenly Father. And there is not one thing that happens in my kid's life that I am not interested in, that I am not concerned with. My, my, my kids are seven and six, and I want to know everything they're doing so that I can love them, so that I can teach them, so I can steer them, I can prevent them from, from destroying themselves, right? Like, I am interested in everything they do. And so if, if all of a sudden you find yourself with some area of your life that's just in this compartment that you think that God's not concerned with, it's not just that he wants to police you in a way that you adhere to this morality. It is that he knows what's good for you. He created you for a purpose, and, and his purpose is what is good. And so all of a sudden you've forgotten a, a big piece of the character of God. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. Do you hear that? Does that blow you away? Like, He loves you. There is not one thing that He's not concerned with that He would want to go well with you. He is concerned with your flourishing. This is not prosperity gospel. This is talking about what it is to live out that which you were created for. There is a way in which this world was wired where everything clicks. And when we live in the commands and and teaching and leading of God, we actually experience the joy of that. There's no short circuit. There's no disconnect. There's no no discord. And the more we walk in this, the more opportunity we have to experience this clearly. So... That's our first defense. That was long. Um, we're going to move fast. So second, Paul's second defense is this. It is God's sovereign election. We see this here. It says, God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. We've spent a, a good bit of time in previous sermons. So I know if you're sitting here and you're hearing this for the first time, this is going to be extremely deficient for, for what you would want to spend time on. So again, please feel free to go back, listen to previous sermons, or just kind of take this section and look more at chapter 9 and 10 
and uh, discuss it with each other. But Paul's second defense is God's sovereign election. As we see, God has not rejected the people he foreknew. This is a reminder from chapter 9 that to foreknow is more than just seeing in advance. Because if it's just that God looked down the corridors of time and saw those that would honor him, those that would defy him, and then he chose the ones that would honor him, that still makes our salvation based on our works and not his grace. And that was the entire point that he made in uh, Romans 9, 6. And he's making it again, and I got ahead of myself, it's coming in a minute too. But Paul is saying that God is a promise keeper. That's what he's saying, and that God's covenant was always to keep a people for himself and deliver him. And so he's saying that, um, that God has not rejected those he foreknew. Uh, Psalm 94, 14 speaks to this heart of God, for the Lord will not forsake his people. He will not abandon his heritage. These people that he has said, you will be my people and I will be your God. And so we see that, that all have rejected God. All have sinned against, sinned against him. All have come up short. And it is God's sovereign, merciful choice that any are saved. Again, building the building box. Paul's third defense, he points to Elijah. And it's really Elijah's mistake is his proof here. Let's look at verses, uh, the second part of verse 2 through 4. Do you not know what the Scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets, and I have demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed to the knee of Baal. The context here is from 1 Kings 18 and 19. Um, there's this evil king of Israel, King Ahab, and he has just started just slaughtering the people of Israel and the prophets. And, 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 and then there's this big showdown between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And then Jezebel gets in the picture. And it's crazy that Elijah can be so bold in one second. Then Jezebel says, hey, just as you've seen what's happening to your prophets and what you did to the prophets of Baal, and when you struck them down, I'm going to make sure if it's the last thing I do, that's what happens to you. And this guy who like called down the fire of heaven now runs and hides and now he's crying out to God and he's like, Lord, take my life. I'm done with struggling with this. I'm, 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 I'm terrified. He said, I'm the only one left. There's no one left but me. They've all been killed. And God's reply is here, kind of summarized, paraphrased by Paul. He says, no, 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 no. That may be what you see. That may be what you see. But what you don't know is I have held back a remnant. I have protected a remnant. I have sustained my promise to my people. You are not alone. Paul's defense is, is interesting. He's basically saying don't make the mistake that Elijah made thinking you can see everything God sees or that you can see everything God is doing. And he says don't forget God keeps his promises. Even when you can't see, even when it seems like all is lost, God keeps his promises. Just as God helped Elijah to see that he is keeping his promise to his people by holding back a remnant that is not compromised or that is not capitulated to kind of this corrupt king and culture or been struck down by his hand, because that's kind of where Elijah was at. It's either they've been struck down or they've changed teams. You see that as just as God reassured Elijah, Paul is saying, and hey, don't forget that's true for us today at that time, and we can know this is true for us as well. We must not make the mistake of looking around us and thinking that we are seeing the whole picture. God's ways are not our, our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. He is not limited to what we are limited to. We are finite. He is not. We anguish over the loss of stature of Christianity in, in our culture today. 
And we lament the lack of ease of claiming like our faith in Christ because that's what kind of we're used to. That's what kind of our culture leading up in the last you know, century is used to in our country. And we, and we lament over this and we think, oh my gosh, all is hopeless, all is lost. We're withering away to oblivion and insignificance and we're losing our voice in the world. And God is just saying, like, don't forget, I'm working in ways you don't understand. Don't forget, I am present. My promise is intact. I'm keeping it. We mustn't find our comfort in in our standing in culture. We mustn't find our comfort in the ease in which we live. And that's a funny thing for us to say. Because we have it real easy. Like, you know... I mean, we really do. I mean, when was the last time you, you, you mentioned the name of Jesus and you were afraid for your life? But yet we face trials and they're real. We face struggles and they're real. We, we face crises of confidence and they're real. Um, and God doesn't ever turn his nose up at any of that because it's our opportunity to lean into him and his opportunity to satisfy with grace. We're invited to find our hope in the person of God and his saving work that he accomplished in Jesus Christ. And then he also went as far to sustain us by giving us the Holy Spirit. And I want you to see something here real quick. He says, in Paul's response, he says, do you not know what the Scripture says? And so I just want to encourage you, if you want to live at peace and in confidence in this life, don't think that you can get there without the Word of God. He gave this to us. This is is how He reveals His will to us. It's how we relate to Him. And He's also given us the Holy Spirit to help us understand and to give us strength and power and and to show us the way. But we need to lean into the Word. That's why one of our core values is to submit to full biblical authority. If we want to live in freedom, it is living in the freedom that God has given. And He has shown us where that freedom is in His Word. So, we may feel alone, but we're never alone. John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Deuteronomy 31, 6, be strong and courageous, do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. So once again, God has not rejected his people. It is only when we understand and cling to this that we find true freedom to live with peace and joy. It is only when we understand and cling to this we find true freedom to love those around us unconditionally. If we are meant to embody the same incarnational life of Jesus, meaning that he entered into the mess, he didn't require us to clean up at all. He entered in to clean up. He entered in to purify and redeem. He didn't make us act like the redeemed. He came in to redeem. So if we want to embody that same life where we enter into the places of need with freedom and joy and purpose and courage, where we're not afraid of being around those that don't agree with us and we're not afraid to disagree well, humbly, respectfully, where we're okay to be around those who, who disagree with the claims of Christ. Like, wow, like how, what, what has happened that, that, that Christians have become 
unable to allow people to deal with disbelief because we were all there. Every one of us have dealt with disbelief. And so we've got to be able to enter into these places with great humility and generosity just as Jesus did for the sake of God's love and redeeming work in Christ to be made known. And for this to happen, we have to find our confidence and our assurance in God. And, and, and as we do that, we live with the same purpose as Him. We, we will never live and love like Jesus, if we sit in judgment over those around us or if we are afraid of them. Our opportunity is to love. God has not rejected his people. It is not our place to reject either. Paul's fourth defense, we'll close with this. It is only by God's grace. Verses 5 and 6. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Man, is that good news? That's good news. This echoes back to Romans 9-11 where we see that it is God showing mercy and grace in His sovereign choice that any are saved. So once again, Paul wants to make it abundantly clear how it is exactly this is exactly how, how God, um, how, he keeps, how He keeps His promise through holding back a remnant, through showing mercy to those who have rebelled and rejected. It is all by grace, not by works. I appreciate how, how Tim Keller summarizes this. He says, Paul means this. What guarantees that there will always be a faithful remnant is not that there is always a set of good, decent people who will believe, but rather that there is always the grace of God. It is God who preserves a remnant. Those who believe do so entirely because of grace. So if God is calling you today, don't harden your heart. Respond to His grace today and call on Jesus as Savior. If you are in Christ, if you are a Christ follower, get out there and let the riches of God's mercy and grace in Christ be made known through word and deed. We're going to stop there, and we're going to cover a pretty big chunk next week. When I say we, I mean uh, one of our friends, Andrew Johnson, who's one of the pastors at Neartown Church, is going to come in and teach next week. Um, and this will work well into his text, but... Uh, but we'll leave 7 through 10. But I want to close with this. Um, today, you know, as if we were to go through the rest of this text, it would be talking about the hardening of hearts. And I, I just want to invite all of us to hear that God loves you. He has not rejected you. Um, if you hear Him calling today, if you hear Him calling do not harden your hearts. Respond. Let us live a life that has a testimony that defends the reality of God's goodness in Christ. And let us trust that He is a promise keeper, that He works in ways that we do not see and know at all times. But He is always working. Um, let me pray. God, um, I'm grateful for Your grace. I am grateful for 
your sovereign rule. And Lord, that um, it, is, it is beyond my ability to grasp. But Lord, you are perfectly merciful, perfectly loving, perfectly just in all of your ways. And so Lord, I pray as we, as we face some difficult questions in our days that we would uh, bring them to you trusting you, remembering who you are and how you are in our need for you, God. I pray that we would also trust that we will, uh, when all is said and done, that we will find your judgment and your, the way in which you work to be perfect and satisfying. So let us ask good, honest questions. Let us bring our understanding to you. Let us find our truth in you and not just in, in what we think, God. And let us do that well together as we journey together uh, toward Jesus, Lord, uh, for our transformation in your glory. Uh, so, Lord, continue to work now as we respond in communion. In Jesus' name.